on, uh, on Wednesday morning, I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning, got to the plane for six o'clock departure, and my, I open up my phone and there's emails, just crazy. Uh, and I started reading these emails and um, they were awful. They were just absolutely awful. I, I'll, I'll begin with the first one I open. Dear pastor, please add me to the list of pissed off citizens who want to receive only one piece of correspondence from your S-hole city, namely the obit in the future of your police chief and where he's buried. I've added him to my bucket list of politicians whose gravesides I want to come visit to defecate on. Unbelievable that a city government of any form in this country permits this kind of BS and doesn't immediately fire this partisan MF. No wonder your S-hole state is losing so many folks with money and replacing them with illegal immigrants. And that just really warmed the cockles of my heart. Uh, then I received this, as a longtime member of, and they listed the church here in town that they attend, I am appalled by your actions, canceling the event, honoring a fallen officer. You caved, simple as that. Even your statement is hypocritical. You did the very thing you said shouldn't be done. As a Christian pastor, you have a responsibility to stand for what is right. What's next? Deny the gospel when pressured. I realize you're only human, but don't profess one thing from the pulpit and personally behave differently. You uh, do yourself and your congregation a disservice what you did was not minor, it was major. I'll be praying for you to come forward and make the right decision. If you're going to behave as those in the world do, perhaps you have a decision to make, and that is either resign as mayor or step down as senior pastor. Um, this one, oh, Tim Hagel, chief of Thousand Oaks, he quotes the article um, reported in Breitbart. Uh, you, sir, are mayor of a basis, racist bunch of bigots if you allow this clown to get away with this what the hell do you allow this garbage? Uh, why is, is, what is your leadership? Typos, I think they were angry. I will be watching. By the way, I see you are a senior pastor. How does this nonsense square with your faith, compassion, and supposed belief in the gospel charity? Are you a hypocrite too or just a heretic? Um, this one was actually, well, I'll get to that one later. I'm almost done, hang in there, it's a long introduction. Dear Mayor McCoy, I was absolutely astonished this morning when I read the paper that you endorsed and embraced the cancellation of the upcoming Fallen Officers fundraiser. I regret that I wholeheartedly supported you in the last election. I even put two large McCoy uh, signs um, around my mailbox, convinced several of my neighbors to do the same, which they did. I firmly will never vote for you again, and I'll encourage all my conservative friends, golfing buddies, and neighbors to do the same. You're an embarrassment to the Fallen Officers Fund uh, fundraising organization, as well as the Republican Party. You apparently have been mesmerized by Assemblywoman Jackie Irwin. Your actions are a pathetic laughingstock from my out-of-state family members and friends that know I reside in Thousand Oaks. Never again will I support you. Um, and then this one, it pains me deeply as a former individual law enforcement, not only saddened but sickened by the self-serving behavior of a chief police, goes through the whole thing. But he, he said it in such a kind way, he was one of the few I responded to, and then uh, he was very kind in his response back. I share all this because um, there's a lot that hasn't been discussed. Um, the articles went out, it was a press release by the promoter of the event. Um, I, had no biz I had no part in the cancellation of it. I'm simply standing by uh, Chief Hagel. He's a good man, and I'm going to continue to do that. Um, and as I look at it, I, I know the context for why he did what he did. I'm happy to talk with you about it. I believe if the onus is to be placed on anyone, you need to go up the food chain. I think it goes even beyond the, um, the sheriff. I think it goes into elected offices at the highest level. Um, but I think that, that Chief Hagel is a scapegoat. 
And here's a man that spent 70 plus hours being awake during the shootings, caring for the, the families of the victims. I've never seen a, a, a more compassionate human being in all my life. I, I loved him. And I, I, the thing I do appreciate is the fact that he owned the words that he said. I also know the context for which he said them. Uh, it was a recorded phone call between him and the promoter. Um, he thought it was a private phone call. And he was trying to explain why it was partisan. Now, where this breaks down is, from what I understand, especially as the mayor of the city, that the sheriff's department is not allowed to participate in anything that's partisan, whether that's left or right. And I know that they did this with the Brady, uh, Brady Gun folks that are what would be considered left, and this event was considered right, and they, they just don't sponsor it. They didn't cancel it. They don't sponsor it. But um, a de facto idea would be, since the widow wasn't going to attend and neither were the sheriffs, that basically cancels it, but the the sheriff's department couldn't co-sponsor it. Whether or not uh, a state elected official um, pressured them to do so, I don't know completely. I'll find that out. But I do know this. I stand by Tim. And you know, quite honestly, could care less if I don't get re-election. Uh, it just doesn't faze me. And, and write anything you want. I don't care. I really don't care. I know before God I'm doing the right thing. And that's simply how it sits with me. Now, for those who say it wasn't partisan, why is everything I'm receiving having to do with Republican right-wing anger? And I happen to be a Trump-supporting Republican. As a matter of fact, I was helping get the lieutenant governor elected to governor. I'm going to be traveling to Israel to do the same. I'm also the faith outreach coordinator for the California Republican legislature. I'm also working with Charlie Kirk. So give me a break. You have better qualifications? Fine. But the reality is, as mayor, I represent the 167,000 citizens of this community, and that was a partisan event. Whether you like it or not, it was. And how it was handled, I don't think the sheriff's department did a great job. I don't like what Tim said. And he, he realizes he, he blew it. Fair enough. He'll work it out. And we'll see if there's disciplinary action. That's not my deal. But I'm not going to throw the guy out. I'm just not interested. And quite honestly, if you want me to make a stand for that, the rest of the council's not going to vote for it. It's just not going to happen. If this is the hill people want to die on, here's the problem. What we were trying to avoid in the city, people profiting from our pain, happened. He was a promoter from Florida. He had good intentions, I imagine. But the press releases really bothered me. And to call Tim Hagel a racist, I'm sorry. I, I, I struggle with that. I really do. And um, it's interesting because Charlie Kirk, as we were talking, he came out with an article that was fascinating. It was entitled, The Cancel Culture. Had to do with this fellow right here. His name is Carson King. Carson King was at a football game on September 14th between um, Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa won 18 to 17. ESPN was uh, doing a show, a pre-show event, and he holds up this sign, uh, this, you know, Venmo me some money, so I'm, I, I need beer money, and everyone giggled, and an enormous amount of money came in. I think it was over $300,000 came in because of this Venmo sign. So... <laughs> He wasn't the most clever, clever or artistic sign, and as um, Charlie was writing this article, I was amused by it. So he decided to get together with his family to do something uh, with the beer money. He didn't want to buy beer. He was just joking, but he ended up with over $300,000. And he consulted with his family and decided that every dollar he received uh, above the price of a case of beer, he would donate to the University of Iowa Stead Family Children's Hospital in Iowa City. He raised $2 million. Uh, it was pretty remarkable. 1.7 had been pledged. 
And then, um, interestingly enough, it's a heartwarming story um, and a fun story, right? I mean, we're thrilled by it, but that's not how it ended. In doing research on Carson King in the course of covering the story, the Des Moines County Register uncovered a few tweets made by King when he was 16 years old. The tweets contained racially insensitive remarks and a negative comment about gay marriage, which were inspired by Tosh O, a mainstream show that is still on Comedy Central. Before the Register could even go to print, Anheuser-Busch alerted the of the discovery by the reporter severed all ties with Carson because they were going to do a can with his name on it. Actually, they did. Uh, And in a statement, the the beer uh, company said, in part, Carson King had multiple social media posts that do not align with our values as a brand or as a company, and we will have no further association with him. We are honoring our commitment by donating more than $350,000 to the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. And this is just another example how political correctness uh, in corporations is destroying the lives of decent people. Now, with that being said, um, let, me, let me share this with you. It's kind of interesting. By all accounts, Carson King is a decent young man trying to find his way in life. He could have easily uh, and legally decided to keep all the money that was given him. Instead, it was his instinct to do good. Everyone, including Anheuser-Busch, embraced him and the story. But then when they dug up uh, something from his past at 16 years of age... Um, and his physical appearance, his geographical residency did not place him into the protected class of people who are able to get away with cultural transgressions because of their other good works. Uh, and so they, they wiped him off the map. Well, what's interesting is later the reporter was found to have had tweets in their childhood and they ended up getting fired. <laughs> this is what is called the cancel culture in America. And the cancel, cancel culture is alive and well on the left. And it's also alive and well on the right. That's a good man. And these are now the memes going out all over the United States in relation to our chief of police. Everybody wants a pound of flesh. I don't think he handled it in the best way. But I'm not going to cancel what he's meant to this community. And what we tried to avoid of people profiting from our pain ended up being on national news. I've spoken with the reporter at the Washington Examiner. I've reached out to Fox News. I've also reached out to Breitbart. I've had some lengthy conversations saying you need to get the rest of the story. Most of the stories were established simply by the press release of the promoter himself. And again, I don't know the man. I haven't had a meaningful conversation with him. But I do know that that does not reflect our chief of police. Um, Now, why this long introduction? It's fascinating to me that as we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and I'm busy as can be, um, that God takes the study of the scriptures that I enjoy just personally and then also preparing for Sundays and how he speaks to me in the course of it. And this is one of those passages I've never seen this, this insight, but it's through these events that God speaks. And I'm excited to share with you what God has put on my heart And so that's going to take us to the text, and that's your introduction. So sorry about the length of it, but we're in Luke chapter 12. If you have a Bible, open up to it. If you don't, the folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in a moment in verse 49. And once you open it up, would you stand with me? Uh, We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. 
initial reading of this is one where it brings you great concern, but I pray it brings you great comfort today. It certainly did for me. And I love the way in which he addresses it to the multitudes. So we'll pick up, I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. Jesus speaking, he said, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. It would be a a few months before he'd be crucified. That's the baptism he speaks of. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. Now that makes sense. And daughter-in-law against her (laughs) mother-in-law. Then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it is. It's an agrarian culture. They know about farming. And so it is. Verse 55 And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite, which is penny, the smallest form of money in the culture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth. All those in the hearing of my voice, I pray that your word would not return void as you promised, but would accomplish great and mighty things, transforming hearts and minds, and drawing them by your gentle and loving grace into your presence. And Lord, we thank you. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Jesus was talking about discerning the times when you see a cloud rising out of the west that a shower is coming and when you see the south wind blow that there will be hot weather. Discerning the times, we're all in the midst of interesting times. This is in 2 Timothy chapter three. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it if you'll just follow along in the hearing of my voice. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, but know this, Timothy, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away, for of this sort are those who creep into households, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I read that and I just think, we're in times like that, speaking to pastors across the country and recognizing that I don't think this president has been so much responsible for dividing the nation as he's been more like a highlighter that has highlighted the division that already exists. And we are a divided nation. Not just divided right and left, we're divided in the right and the left is divided. They're all devouring each other and we're doing the same. 
I'm, I'm called to resign and step down. I, I somehow have disqualified myself as capable of office or of the ministry because I stand behind Chief Hagel. I took that before the Lord and I really did have a peace that I don't, I've never cared about re-election. I, don't, I really don't care. I run in such a way as to win. And you'd be all things to all men that you might win some. But when it comes down to conviction and what God has called me to do, the consequences are not my worry. Obedience is what I'm called to. I rise and fall before one master, that's the Lord. I can't be bought because I'm already owned. And I have great peace with my decision and zero worry about the consequences. I'm glad because the Lord pointed out in this passage that ministered to my heart, he said, I came to send fire on the earth. He's speaking about an upcoming event, kindling a fire. The word fire is judgment. You find it in Revelation 14 where it's an all-consuming fire that, that is coming to bring judgment. The chaff the, will be burned. The stubble will be burned. Only that which is of the Lord, wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away, but, but it's, it's those precious metals that will remain. And this refiner's fire is, is, is coming. This judgment is coming. The Bible says it's appointed once for man to die, then judgment. But what he's speaking of in relation to this is, is the end of all time. That this, this fire is going to be sent upon the earth. An earth that is inundated with sin because it's filled with people like me and you, sinners. People that have flawed character. And as this fire is coming, he says, I wish it were already kindled because he sees the heartache, he sees the burden, and he's speaking of something that is, is being prepared to happen because sin must be judged. God doesn't look past sin. The only way that sin is invisible to him is if it's covered in the blood of his son. But God is merciful and just. And then Jesus speaks in verse 50, he says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. It's months away. And he's fully God and he's fully man and he knows what's awaiting him. He's going to be imprisoned, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be ridiculed, he's gonna be beaten. They're gonna tie his hands behind his back, they're gonna play the king's game with him in the Antonio Fortress. They're gonna put a bag over his head with his hands tied behind his back. They're gonna sucker punch him and say, prophesy who hit you. They're gonna spit upon him, they're gonna strip him naked, they're gonna whip him with a cat of nine tails, nine flat leather strands with metal shards on the tip that rip the flesh all the way to the muscle. They're gonna put a crown of thorns upon his skull They're going to pierce his wrists, pierce his feet. They're going to pierce his side. And when they pierce his side, blood and water will flow out, which is indicative of the fact that there is an ounce of blood left in his body. He will pour it all out for the remission of our sins because the scripture says blood must be shed for the remission of sins. Your blood cannot be shed for my sins because your blood is tainted with sin. My blood cannot be shed for the remission of your sins because my blood is tainted with sin. We all have the same terminal disease. But Christ was tempted in all ways yet was without sin. And so when his blood is shed, the penalty for sin is paid. He is completely just and merciful. And to be merciful and just, he must find someone. The father places all the sins of the world upon his son and the penalty is paid. And as mankind... We look upon that and we have one of two options. 
Christ says, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. He knows it's coming. He knows what he's going to face. No one will face more pain or experience death in a more painful way in all the earth than the Lord himself. He will walk up the Via Dolorosa with every step of agonization and pain as he will suffer unlike any human being has ever suffered. They're gonna pull his beard out of his face. His face will be so swollen his own mother won't recognize him. And he will hold on to the very end until the sun sets on that Sabbath as the Lamb of God will be slain for the sins of the world and he will breathe his last. He knows what awaits him. He knows the pain. He's fully God, fully aware, but fully man. Tempted in all ways, yet even in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's crying out to the Father, knowing that that moment is soon to happen, he cries three times, Father, if there be any way this cup pass from me, but not my will, thy will be done. And in the intensity of that, his body ruptures in the capillaries and he sweats as though it were drops of blood as the stress is so overwhelming he's bleeding through his pores. And all of the disciples who said they'd never forsake him are all asleep. He can't even keep them awake. He knows what's awaiting him. He knows this baptism, this idea that he is going a baptism of fire. He knows he's going to face the intensity of the sins of the world leveled upon the sinless lamb of God. He'll have seven last words upon that cross, one being, being, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He'll entrust to John his mother's care and he'll say, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He'll take care of his familial relationships while he's still concerning himself with the sins of the world. He's distressed until it is accomplished. He's burdened. All of these things are pending, pending, pending. And then he says in verse 51, do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. We think of sweet and mild Jesus, a baby born in a manger, Silent night, holy night. The first sounds of the Savior is the cries of a child or the coos of a child. No crying he makes. But this Savior of the world did not come to give peace on earth, but division. Division. He even points out what that division will look like. He says in the passage of scripture, for from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, two against three. Sometimes you're gonna be in the majority, sometimes you'll be in the minority. You're gonna be on opposite sides. Sometimes you're gonna win an election, sometimes you're gonna lose an election. You're gonna have your ideologies. You're gonna go back and forth. You'll be divided in the home. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Notice that one continues, even in reverse. But in the midst of this, he's saying this is what's going to occur after my baptism upon that cross when I pour out my blood for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The father, would, it would please him to pierce the son. The wrath of the father would be poured out on the son this baptism awaiting him, and as a result, it would create division, not peace. Peace. You see, in the church, it's three to two or two to three. In the world, it's three to two or two to three. In the family, it's three to two or two to three. There's division. 
Always division. And it all boils down to the ideology. In the world, there's division. There's conservative, there's liberal, there's ultra-conservative, there's ultra-liberal, there's mediocre, there's in the middle, there's whatever. You can, you can find it all. Collect them all. And there's division. Some things we just can't let go of. The scripture calls us to endeavor to keep the union of the spirit and the bond of peace, and we still struggle. And as Christians, we want to avoid conflict. We hate conflict. We don't want to stand for anything. We think peace is the absence of conflict. And so like a twig on the banks of a mighty river, we just go with the flow. We change the word of God to fit the culture, and we call it social justice. We just want to get along so we can go along. And to, to be a religion of absolutes declaring that God would declare of his people that there are certain things that are non-negotiable, we tend to negotiate those to avoid conflict. But Christ said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. There's going to be division. What I'm declaring to mankind is not popular because it boils down to even our founding document. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. When I was challenged in a debate for assembly, uh, they asked, will you believe that creation should be taught in schools? I said, it's already being taught in schools. And the person said, where? And I said, in the, in the Declaration of Independence, that all, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator. Four times in the Declaration of Independence, God is listed. Why? Because these are inalienable rights and endowed by our creator. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. The laws of nature, nature's God. And recognizing this in the 6,000 years of recorded history, 244 years, one nation on the face of the earth establishes a relationship with God and with man. The community, common unity, would dwell with a moral people. We've, we've studied this. But now conflict. Conflict between opposing ideologies as, as we've, we've now come to a place where there's, there's two options. The great rule of the universe, the two laws, there's a God and we are not him. And that's a problem. That's a problem because if we acknowledge the, the existence of a creator, then we're accountable to that creator. And that bothers us. Nobody likes to be called a sinner, certainly not me. I don't like it. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. Maybe you're better at that than me. No, you aren't. <laughs> and then there's the other ideology that I'll make God in my image. I won't call it a sin, I'll just make it a god or a goddess. I'm not an alcoholic, I just worship Bacchus, the god of alcohol. I'm not addicted to pornography, I just worship Aphrodite, the goddess of, of sensuality. I'm not an angry person, I just worship the god of Mars, who's the god of war. I'm just a warring person, I'm just, I'm just intense. So we don't examine our lives, we just deify them. And that's dangerous. And in these opposing ideologies, we can we find conflict. We find conflict. Will one yield? One will say to you, how can you stand for this? Why are you, why are, why are you immovable? Who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you, the scriptures are. Well, what gives the validity of scripture? And the idea was scripture. And I remember, I remember being in high school and, and, and not buying this Christian stuff. I remember yielding to Christ and having my life touched and realizing I was a sinner and having gone through these things and yielding to the Lord in my life and receiving his forgiveness. And I remember coming home and telling my father, I said, Dad, I became a Christian. My dad, I'll never forget what he said. 
He said, get that Jesus crap out of my house. Conflict. Conflict. I still began to seek the scriptures and pursue the Lord. I did it in secret and silence. He never forbid me from going to church. Maybe he just didn't know I was going. Conflict. When I got older and I was in school and I had graduated, I'd finally gotten some money in my pocket. I was working for a company now and I had money and a car. And I was thinking about this idea that the, David said, Lord, don't give me more than I need so that I forget you or too little, too little that I resent you. And God gave me more than I needed and I forgot him. And I began to use that money for my own indulgences. Got involved with a girl. She got pregnant. Went and told the college pastor. You guys, 19 years I've been the pastor. You've heard the story 19,000 times. But some are new to it. And conflict. I went to tell my mom and dad who weren't believers my girlfriend's pregnant, we're gonna get married. Conflict. You marry that girl, you'll never step foot in this house. She needs to get an abortion. Dad, I can't do that, it's against what I believe. Conflict. My dad said, she gives birth to that child, you'll never step foot in this house. And by the way, son, look where your faith has gotten you so far. Conflict. Dad, it, it wasn't God's fault, it was my fault. Conflict. Father against son, conflict. I'm leaving, conflict. The realization that it's not my child, it's the college pastor who's married and has three kids who discipled me, it's his child, conflict. This is the world we live in. Does the baby die? It's inconvenient. Conflict. What does the word say? It may not be popular, but it's right. I stepped out, I lost my family. The church was legalistic. They didn't want anything to do with me. I found the best friend I've ever met in all my life and still is my dearest friend. It's my wife, Michelle. She had been my friend and then through the thick of all this, she called me in the midst of this woman that I'd been engaged to was pregnant and back then you couldn't do a blood test until the baby was born and I'm thinking, why would you want anything to do with me when you're gonna be raising someone else's kid? This doesn't make sense. The baby's born, the blood test is taken, it's proven to be his. The wife is upset, conflict. We took another blood test, still conflict, it's his. And the definition of a friend is when the whole world goes out, they come in, my wife, my friend, the love of my life. We find unity, she stood with me when no one else would, that's a friend. That's a friend, at great expense to herself. Her parents weren't believers, she had just come to Christ. I'm Jim Jones, I'm a nut. Why are you interested in me? I'm a crazy guy who believes in God. We marry. And through this, my mom and dad come to Christ. Michelle's family, many that weren't believers, come to the Lord. I get to pray with her grandmother before she passes. My godmother came to the Lord, my godfather. From the conflict came reconciliation. But it wasn't until there was a baptism of pain. It was turmoil and heartache. A lot of conflict. 
But yet I look and God has restored the years the locusts have eaten. All my children walk with God. I know no greater joy. My grandchildren. I think, Lord, you've been so good to me. You see, we'll have many trials, but God will work them together for good. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. God never left me nor forsook me. He was with me every step of the way. But in the conflict, what do we do? How do we process life in the midst of the conflict? And the Lord makes it very clear to us. He says, he said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. And then he says hypocrites. You can discern, and take that word discern, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you don't discern this time? It was an agrarian culture. You, 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 can, you can see the, the fields. You, you know how the weather works. You get all this. But how is it you don't discern these times? These times that there is a God and he loves you. You're either for him or against him. You're either standing for him in a world that doesn't. And you're either doing it in love and you're making those tough choices even though they bring conflict. Or do you cave and avoid the conflict? Are you the friend when the whole world goes out? Did you come to serve or to be served? Discern the times. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. And how quick we are to discern the times and say, no, you will be canceled in my culture because you are an offense to me and I don't ever want you to have a voice again. Whether it's right or left. Where's the love? Where's the tenderness? Where's the patience and long-suffering? Where's the endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Where is it that you're seeking to gain understanding before you come to a conclusion? Where is it? You discern these things. Then why is my heart not embedded in you to do what I am doing, God says? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He left the glory of heaven's throne to to walk amongst us, was tempted in all ways, yet was without sin. He faced that baptism. He reconciled you to me and me to him and all of us to each other. That was his gift. He commands us to do the same. And yet we don't. We're lovers of ourselves. We love money. We boast. We're proud. We're blasphemers. We're disobedient to our parents. We're unthankful. We're unholy. We're unloving. We're unforgiving. We slander people's good character and their names and we're without self-control. We're brutal. We despise the good. We're traitors. We're headstrong. We're haughty. We're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. And here, I stand with Chief Hagel. I stand in opposition to the promoter and I'm guilty of 2 Timothy chapter three because in my defense of Tim, I haven't endeavored to reconcile to the promoter. I got work to do. I will. There's a lot of people out there that deserve a gentle answer in these wrathful emails and part of my flesh wants to fight back but I've been crucified with Christ. This is tough work. 
And that's why the Lord closes with this last portion of scripture that we'll conclude with as we prepare to take communion. He says, yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. California is the most litigious state. It's hard to run a business here. You get sued. Everybody sues. Trial lawyers love this state. I think about the budget that the city and every other government office has to put aside for lawsuits. Everybody's entitled. And you have a slew of judges, whether they're class action suits, whatever, they, they appeal to your, your love of money, your unforgiveness. We become headstrong and haughty. And yet I look and I think to myself, as God has forgiven me, so forgive one another. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. And then the Lord says in the very clear picture that anyone could understand who's ever been in a lawsuit, and it's awful. You're gonna go before the judge. You better get it right. You're gonna meet before that magistrate. And the best way to avoid a lawsuit that we never apply, but God commands it in Galatians 6 and Matthew 18 is interpersonal reconciliation. Talking to each other. When you stop talking to the person that you have an issue with and you endeavor to win them, and you overlook an offense, if you stop that, that's where divorce begins. And you think you're gonna get your pound of flesh in divorce court, and all it does is impoverish your family and cause the kids consternation and discouragement. You take away their protection and their covering. God wants us to endeavor. I think about my biggest adversary and the one that wants to take me to court. And that adversary is the same one you possess because the scriptures declare that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He is the adversary. And I get all these emails and my flesh is just livid. And I'm ruminating. How dare you speak to me like this and say these things about our chain? Ruining our city and bringing, we're so close to the anniversary, these families are hurting. How dare you come into our city and do this to us? I'm angry. I want to lash out in the gentleness of the Lord. Satan's saying, you know, you're right to feel that way. You've been maligned, improperly treated. You need some me time, Rob. He just really needs some me time. (laughs) You know, I feel like I need some me time. I love what Ken Graves said, this generation, the younger generation, it's all about feelings. You know, um, I, just, I just feel like you're mocking me. No, no, I am. We don't, we don't ever say this anymore. I know. It's all about f- feelings. You've, I'm going to dismiss you and cancel you because you're, you're invading my space. And I just feel oppressive from that. I don't, I don't want to be addressed with your bigoted 
positions? That there's a God and somehow I'm not right? That just, that needs to be silenced. We're going to have conflict. Oh, there's no absolutes. Do you believe that absolutely? Oh, see, there you go. Just twisting everything. And yet, when you get something right, you just want to drive it home. There's a lust. How can you be so stupid to believe that? Where's the love? That's the disconnect. And then it comes back at you. And now you got people that want a pound of flesh and they're going to take you to court. And the one who always wants to dump on you is Satan. There he is whispering as all these things are coming in and he's appealing to your flesh to get back. And you need some me time. And then you indulge in that. And as soon as you finish indulging yourself and feeding the flesh and buying into that lie, he turns. What a pathetic, evil human being you are. God doesn't want anything to do with you. How many times have you asked forgiveness for the same thing? You are worthless. And you just start to melt. And I'm so grateful for this passage we've just read because God has given me the greatest strength I've ever received. That Satan takes me on the way to the magistrate. He will judge you. You'll be finished. I'm like, let's go. We're going where? To the judge. No, no, no. Stay here. I have more to tell you. (sighs) I go, no, no, no. I'm in agreement with everything you're saying. Let's go. And in his pride, he says, I'll have the case against you. You've already confessed it all. I've got you recorded. And we get there to the judge. And I've agreed with my adversary all the way. You're right. I am a boaster. And I am a lover of money. And I am deceitful. And I am, 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 and I am. I'm guilty. There isn't a good thing in Rob McCoy. And whenever I indulge the flesh, I get credit for that. I'm pathetic. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And as I get to the, oh, and when I think there's a good thing that dwells in me, I'm guilty of pride, so I'm guilty. (laughs) And I come to the magistrate, the judge, God the Father, and my adversary, the devil, has a thick documentation that he has written in detail, dates, times, occurrences, admissions. He has me recorded. He brings it, he puts the evidence on the table in front of the just magistrate, the judge of the world, the judge of the universe, the judge and the creator of all. And he says, it looks like you have a compelling case here. And Satan, breathing fire, says, you bet I do. It's time to annihilate him. And then the judge says, who is your advocate? Who's your attorney? I say, well, judge, I, by faith I have received payment from my attorney, my advocate, Jesus Christ. I couldn't afford him, but he is representing me at his own expense. And Jesus turns and says, judge, I mean dad, I mean judge. And he says, son. He says, what do you have to say for your client? He's not just my client, he's my brother. Really, how so? Well, as you see this stack of evidence that the adversary has placed on my brother, whom I deeply love. It's listed date and time, occurrences. It's all recorded. But as you can see, it's an, an, you, you can't read it. And the father says, I can't. Why is this? Because, Dad, it's covered in my blood. 
I've paid the penalty for all of it. And the judge is moved. He says, case dismissed. Go and sin no more. Agree with your adversary. As God has forgiven you, so forgive one another. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. Do you really want that pound of flesh? You see, Ephesians says that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And when you go through these struggles in life, remember, especially in times like this, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. The Lord wants us to work through these things, but Satan wants to divide us. And I, I conclude with this this morning. And this will lead us into our time of communion. Jesus had stated so profoundly that when he had brought before all of those in his presence, he said, a fire is being kindled. A baptism awaits me. That baptism was the judgment of sin. God the Father is a just God and he's also merciful. And the wrath of God, this fire that will judge, was put upon his son because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. I can't die for you. My blood courses with sin. You can't die for me. Your blood courses with sin. We're guilty. We agree with the adversary. We're guilty. But along comes out of the glory of heaven's throne a savior who leaves heaven to walk the earth tempted in all ways yet without sin. And upon himself he takes our sin. His blood is poured out and it is a sacrificial bleeding out because that blood doesn't course with sin. And as they pierce his side in the blood and water depicting that there isn't any left, all the blood has been shed. The propitiation, the penalty is covered. He puts his righteousness on our account. We receive that by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And now the world is divided. You either receive that gift or you deny it. And if you receive it, you're forever changed. You're in the kingdom of God. And now you're a kingdom of love. You will be in a world that will be opposed to you. And you will be loving but firm. You will stand before one maker, your God. You will honor him. He will work these things together for good. There will be division. You will be against your family. You will be against your neighbors. You will be against community folks. And they will ridicule you and mock you. And you love them and you serve them. And you do it in tenderness and patience. Long suffering like the Savior whom delivered you and delivered me. And this is the beauty of it. You see, as Christ had taken the sins of the world upon himself through the lashing of the cat of nine tails, through the piercing of his side, through the crown of thorns upon his head, through the spikes in his wrists and the spike in his feet, through the beating at the Antonio Fortress, being spit upon, stripped naked, and mocked and ridiculed. With the abandonment, when the entire world went out, he stood alone for you and for me. 
And the beating was so profuse that his tongue was swollen. His face was so swollen his own mother couldn't recognize him. They pulled his beard out of his face. And the seven last words upon the cross, one in particular saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He had you and me on his mind. He even took, of, took care of his familial relationships as he said to John, John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. He took care of her. And as his tongue was so swollen from the beating and the dehydration, he asked that his tongue would be moistened and they took the sop and they put it on his tongue and he loosened it and he spit it out just to moisten it enough so that he could say the one word in Greek that all would understand, that would echo throughout all of eternity. He said it for you and he said it for me. In Greek, it's tetelestai. In English, it is finished. The price has been paid. The redemption is complete. And then he bowed after this baptism of death and he died. And we look at symbolisms in life. The cross is very divisive. That's why we want to remove it from all public edifices. You see the Nike symbol, you see the Coca-Cola symbol, you see the FedEx symbol with the hidden arrow in it. All these things represent something, but you look at that and that represents that the ground at the foot of the cross is level and as you've been forgiven, so forgive one another. As God has been patient and long-suffering with you, so do the same for others, but stand firm. And you will face a baptism. His body was broken, his blood was shed. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And he extends it to all the world. Forgiveness awaits you. Cleansing awaits you. Reconciliation with the Father awaits you. And if you believe in your heart and you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you are my Savior. You will be saved to the glory of the Father. And that's why we take communion. The bread rep represents his body that was whipped and beaten with a cat of nine tails. And as it was shred, the blood was poured out. Why blood? Because blood is what courses through our veins. It's the life force. And blood has to be shed to cover sins. And so when God looks at you and looks at me, he doesn't see the multitude of our sins with the record and the secret interviews. He only sees his son's righteousness. And so we come this day to the communion table to realize that this awaits us. We're in a world that hates us and we love them. As God has loved us, so we love one another. We're seekers of truth and we discern the times. We're not quick to judge. We do due process. We wait. We don't react. We respond. We give others the benefit of the doubt. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. These are all that God has given us and his word saturates us and blesses us. And so with that, I want us to take communion together that the Lord would strengthen us as a body of believers in this community in Jesus' name.